variable resources. That means gas backup or some kind of storage not presently economical. Customers should pray for a string of warm winters and more nuclear power starting now. This is John McClory. Thanks for listening. At Union Bank, we've been traveling the back roads and main routes of Vermont and New Hampshire for generations. So when it comes to mortgages, we know the local landscape and the best way to get you home. Union Bank, stay local, go far. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. The Brady Farkas Show is produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to WDEV at RadioVermont.com. energy. We walked around for 35 minutes just in the parking lot looking for this car. The passion. UVM schedules the way they do to get as high a seed as possible in the NCAA tournament and to get as much tournament prep as they can because they're not going to get it from their league. The opinions on all your favorite teams. The organization should be taking care of Matt rather than Matt taking care of the organization. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Oh, I love these days. Patriots win Monday. Shutout win Monday. Two and three win Monday. Pat Patriot uniform win Monday. I got my Pat Patriot throwback shirt on in the studio. Yesterday was a glorious day on the gridiron in Foxborough. Patriot shut out the Lions. It is the Brady Farkas Show here on this Monday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Full show today, all 90 minutes. Then it's Jazz with George Thomas. We're going to celebrate up until 7 o'clock. We'll unpack the Patriots in 15 minutes. We'll go through all all angles of the victory. And then Fox Sports broadcaster Kenny Albert, the legend, legend Kenny Albert. He was on the call yesterday for Fox. He's going to be with us here at about 6.30 to talk about what he saw from the game yesterday. Kenny is one of the best And we'll get to the breaking news out of UVM men's basketball over the weekend. But you can get in, as always, on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. That's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and in Morrisville. You can also check us out, video streaming, Facebook Live, YouTube Live, and my Twitter account as well. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. Travis says, not a Pats fan, love Pat Patriot, though. Pets did look good yesterday. Like, they looked good, and they looked good in that shutout win over the Lions. The opening thoughts are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations, Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. 29 to nothing. 20. Nine to nothing. Patriots beat the Lions yesterday. That is a season-saving win. I'm not trying to be, not trying to have hyperbole. That's what that was yesterday. A season-saving win. Because one in four, you feel like you're pretty much done. You do. Like one in four, if you need to get to 10 wins to the playoffs, one in four, that's a tough, that's a tough road to, to travel. 
two and three is still a tough road to travel. But two and three, you're treading water, you're feeling relevant, and you still have the easy portion of your schedule to come. You're still in last place. So it wasn't, uh, it doesn't vault you to the playoffs, but it kept you relevant. It was a season saving win. It was absolutely huge. Huge. Because yesterday proved that offensively you could control an entire game on the ground. We've seen the Patriots dominate the last six minutes against Pittsburgh. We've seen them do pretty good against Green Bay. But yesterday showed from start to finish they could control a game on the ground, that they could impose their will. Yesterday showed us that both sides of the line of scrimmage could be won by the Patriots. Pat's offensive line dominated. Pat's defensive line dominated. The Patriots showed that they could limit, hell, not even limit. They showed they could completely shut down a high-powered offense. And it showed they could win under adverse circumstances playing with their third-string quarterback. Yesterday was huge. It was huge in the scoreboard. It was huge in the standings report. And it was huge just from the psyche in that the Pats showed they could physically dominate an entire game from start to finish. They showed they could win when they're not supposed to. They showed they could shut down an elite offense. In today's football, elite offenses are supposed to have an easy time, especially in the regular season. And yesterday, the Patriots proved the contrary. And no one, I mean no one in the NFL wins with their third-string quarterback. And the Patriots did. Most people, Cooper Rush with notwithstanding, most people don't win with their backup quarterback even. And the Patriots did. Look at Miami yesterday. Skyler Thompson comes in. They get rolled by the Jets. Kenny Pickett gets rolled. That's a first rounder. Gets rolled in his first career start. Gets killed 38-3. Patriots won with their third string quarterback. It was huge and it was necessary. And it was a win that came about almost exactly as we diagrammed, right? Yesterday was what we asked for. Yesterday was a Bill Belichick special. I don't want to give away the farm when it comes to unpacking the Patriots here in about 10 minutes. But yesterday was a Bill Belichick special. We have said that at some point, Bill Belichick needed to be the difference maker. And yesterday he was. Okay, we know that the Patriots don't pound for pound, have all the talent to go and just beat teams straight up. They don't. The Patriots are not as talented as a lot of teams in the AFC. Their difference maker is Bill Belichick. And we had yet to really see that this year. We saw it yesterday. That is what we asked for. Okay. I thought maybe Belichick would be the difference maker against Baltimore. He wasn't. Yesterday, he was. He confused Jared Goff. They got him off his spot. They made him uncomfortable. That, to me, is all attributable to Belichick. That Lions team averaging 35 points a game, they get zero yesterday. Some of that goes to players. Some of that goes to game plan and the guy building that game plan. We've asked for Belichick to be a difference maker, and yesterday 
he was. And for and look, I think it was a season-saving win. And for what it's worth, Michael Holly of NBC Sports Boston, he agrees with me. I think credibility, fellas, for your fan base, because two and three, you're still alive. One and four, I start to wander. Okay, we'll go <laughs> elsewhere because this is not worth my emotional investment. Yeah. It makes it from us, from the fans' perspective, it keeps us interested. From the team's perspective, it keeps you confident. And from the race perspective, you are still in it. I also want to give props to something that Tom Curran of NBC Sports Boston said. We don't have the audio of this, but on that same postgame show yesterday with Michael Holly, Curran said that yesterday's performance is proof that moral victories do exist and do matters do matter and i agree with that completely i know it's not popular to talk about moral victories the only thing that ultimately matters is the w or the l but when it comes to mindset and attitude and confidence don't tell me that moral victories are unimportant because last week set the groundwork for yesterday. Last week's loss against the Green Bay Packers laid the foundation for yesterday. That Patriots roster last week against Green Bay saw that Bailey Zappi was not a tire fire. They saw that Bailey Zappi could go toe-to-toe on the road with a Hall of Famer and Aaron Rodgers. That has to matter. That has to give you some confidence going into yesterday. It has to give you some positive vibes. Yeah, like the Lions' defense is bad, but there's no guarantee that Zappi's going to be able to exploit it. They saw him exploit Green Bay on the road in Lambeau the week before. That has to matter. If he had gone three for 12 against Green Bay with three picks and taken three sacks, you know what the attitude would be heading into yesterday. It was the opposite of that yesterday because they saw Bailey Zappi succeed just a week earlier. Okay, think of it like a baseball team. Let's just say the Astros and the Red Sox play. The Red Sox play the Astros in June. And the Red Sox lose the game 8-6. But the Red Sox get Justin Verlander out after four innings, and they score five runs off of him. When you play in October, you're less likely to remember that you lost that game, and you're more likely to remember that you got to Verlander. You've seen it happen. That matters. Yeah, so that moral victory matters 100% in that case. It's the same thing in the NFL with the Patriots. They saw Bailey Zappi perform a week earlier. They knew he could perform yesterday. They also saw, for what it's worth, they saw their defense really make life tough for Aaron Rodgers. And if we can make life tough for Aaron Rodgers, imagine what we can do to Jared Goff. Imagine what we can do to Jacoby Brissett. Imagine what we can do to Zach Wilson. Imagine what we can do to Tua or Teddy Bridgewater or whoever is playing for the Dolphins later in the year. It absolutely matters. So we spent last week talking about is it a moral victory or is it just the reality of being one and three? I said yesterday, moral, or I said last Monday, moral victory matters. I'm doubling down on it today. Tom Curran is 100% right. Tom Curran, he tends to be critical, been a little less critical this year, but he tends to be critical. I'm giving it to him here. I think he's got this one dead on. 
that performance against Green Bay, because look, when Hoyer went out, they could have gotten beaten 41-3 to by the Packers. And if you get beat 41-3, everybody's going to come into yesterday against Detroit and go, oh boy, this could get ugly real fast. But they didn't get beat 41-3. to They did a lot of things well where guys are looking around the locker room going, you know what? Okay. Got a shot here. Got some guys that can play. We did some things. We go out against a bad defense and a quarterback that's not as good as the guy we just faced, and we do what we just did, we got a real chance. And the Patriots did the thing. So I I give them a lot of credit. You can't get to the Super Bowl on moral victories, but you can build a foundation, and the Patriots built the foundation last week, and they carried it into yesterday. And that, when you add it all up, that is how you get to a 29-0 beatdown. 29 to nothing. It was absolutely great. Absolutely great. I love to see it. All right. Let's cue the music. Jumped the gun on me there. Cued the music. Unpacking the Patriots. Let's get to it. Which Patriots popped? To the 30. To the 20. He is in. Zone. Throwed. Pick six. Touchdown. Patriots. And which ones flopped? Jones steps up in the pocket, unloads a deep ball, and it's intercepted. That'll put the cherry on top. We unpack the Patriots now on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. So usually when we unpack the Patriots, we kind of alternate between good things and bad things. Got to tell you, in a 29-0 victory, far more good than bad. So Most of this is going to be good. And, oh, by the way, I want to let people know the best news of all. Not only was it a season-saving win for the Patriots, it was a win that got me a free lunch. That's right. Last Thursday, I made a bet on the afternoon news service with noted Lions fan Tommy Gardner. $15 to who would win this game. He said Lions win going away. Well, my wallet's $15 richer today, big boy. So uh, I got a free lunch coming to me. I've already got the money. The question is where and when do I want to spend it? So Patriots win. I win 15 bucks. I've got a free lunch. All right. Now let's unpack the Patriots. The good. The good. The good, the good, the good. It's pretty much all good. A lot of the game played out like we thought it would. Not all of it did. But a lot of it did. The Patriots won. And guess what? We predicted that. I said the Patriots would win on Friday. I thought they'd win 24-23. Of course, I didn't think that they would shut out the top-ranked offense in the league. But I thought they'd win. And they did. And I also said the Patriots were going to need Belichick to be a difference maker. He was. I also said the Patriots were going to have to play relatively clean football. They did. I don't remember a whole lot of penalties for the Pats. A very ridiculous roughing the passer call late in the game. They didn't take a ton of penalties. The They had a turnover, but... You know, shouldn't have been a turnover. We'll get to that one. But they and we said they'd have to do some, quote, extra things to win this game. Well, they did that. The Patriots made multiple big plays on defense, right? There was the Jack Jones pick in the red zone. There were six separate fourth down stops. There was the huge fumble recovery that Kyle Duggar took to the house. When you have a rookie quarterback, when you have a third string quarterback, you need to give him some help. We said 
that they were going to have to give Bailey Zappi help, they did. Zappi didn't have to do a whole lot. They, the Patriots won this game defensively. They won this game with coaching, and they won it with defense, and that's exactly what we said would need to happen. So we had the win. We had the formula. We just didn't have the final score. But we said Zappi doesn't have to do a lot, run the ball, control the clock, good defense, good coaching, win the game. We were right on all that. We just gave the Lions offense a little too much credit, or we understated how good the Patriots has the potential to be. Let's stick with the defense more good here. The Patriots won the game defensively, but I want to give a shout-out to the Patriots' first-quarter defense because that, to me, is really where the game was won. The Patriots, on the first possession of the game, they stopped the Lions on fourth and one at their own 45, right? Fourth and one, Lions own 45, Patriots stopped them, turnover on downs. Then in the first quarter, the Patriots got the Jack Jones interception in the red zone. The Lions were moving the ball. The Lions moved the ball early. Jamal Williams was running it fairly well on that first drive. They get down inside the red zone later in the first quarter. The Lions were going for it early because they didn't, one, they didn't think you could stop them. Two, they thought if you did stop them, your offense couldn't take advantage of of it. And you know what? They were largely right about that. But eventually, you forced them into enough mistakes where now the Lions are desperate. Now they're chasing points, right? They've got to go for it on fourth and nine. And then they turn it over with the Duggar fumble recovery. They've got to go for it six times on fourth down. All of that, that desperation, that's created by what happened in the first quarter. You stop them early, go down and get a field goal. You stop them again with an interception in the red zone. Now you're up 6 nothing, And eventually you just create a situation where they have to chase and they are desperate. So, like, if you don't stop them on that fourth down on the first drive, let's just say the Lions go down and get three. And then the Jack Jones pick you don't get, and the Lions end up with seven. Like, if they get ten points in the first quarter, that game is far different. If the Lions are up 7 nothing or 10-3 or 14-6, it's going to be hard for Bailey Zappi to come back from that. It is. That game for the Patriots was won by the defense, and it was won in the first quarter. Make no mistake, the game looks far different if Detroit gets 6, 10, 14 points early. But they didn't, and then you forced them into massive, massive desperation. Those early defensive stops caused all of what happened next. A few other things we wanted to see happen, happened, okay? A few other things we wanted to see happen, happen. One, Hunter Henry got involved. What, he had four catches? I mean, Hunter Henry had five catches the entire season coming into yesterday. He ends up with four. He nearly doubled his production in one game. He was involved in the past game. Patriots did a great job getting pressure on Jared Goff. They had two sacks, but they constantly were hitting him, constantly constantly flushing him right. He had to throw it away at one point on two consecutive passes. They just moved him off his spot. When Jared Goff can, can get the snap, comfortably drop back, bounce, bounce, scan, scan, and then set and throw, Jared Goff went to a Super Bowl, right? When Jared Goff could do that, he went to a Super Bowl. When he could do that, he won a division. When he can't do that, 
He looks like the guy we saw yesterday. The Patriots made him constantly uncomfortable. And when you make him uncomfortable, that's when the negative plays flow. They've got trips to the left, Hawkinson to the right. Goff leans forward, back to his right, extending the hands. He takes the step. He is going to look to play it out. He's chased by Judah. Go to the left. Goff fumbles. It's scooped up. Denver has it. Foot race to the 35-30. Denver's in the clear to the 10. End zone bound. High stepping. Leaping. Coming down with a touchdown. New England. Yeah, that, when you make Goff uncomfortable, that's the kind of result that you can get. Okay, we... We, want, we did wants versus needs on Friday. We wanted to see Henry. We got it. We wanted to see forcing Goff into mistakes. We got it. We wanted to see you make him uncomfortable. We got it. We wanted to see you get Belichick you know, to, to be a difference maker. We got it. Almost everything we wanted to see, we saw. And the Patriots all add up to a 29-0 season-saving win. The bad. The bad. The bad. Okay. The bad, I told you, there's not much. Let's not act like Bailey Zappi was incredible. Bailey Zappi was good enough to win yesterday. Bailey Zappi was like he did what the team did yesterday. But there was a lot of meat left on the bone that he couldn't capitalize on that will come back to hurt you in other games that he may play over the course of his career. Think about it like this. Bailey Zappi yesterday was a pitcher whose offense spotted him a 6-0 first-inning lead. And then Bailey Zappi came back and gave up two. And then his team got one more, and now it's 7-2. And then Bailey Zappi gave up two, and it's 7-4. And then eventually his offense has put up 11 runs, and he's still giving up six. He's still going to get the win. He was good enough to win on that day. But let's not act like he was out there looking like Cy Young, Justin Verlander, or Clayton Kershaw. That was Bailey Zappi yesterday. I said that if the Patriots were going to have a run-based approach, which they did, they needed to be able to cash in in the red zone. They failed to do that. I mean, the Patriots yesterday kicked five field goals. They were 0 for 4 in the red zone. They were 3 of 9 on third down. Situationally, they were not particularly great at the quarterback position. 3 of 9 on third down. 0 for 4 in the red zone, you have to kick five field goals. The defense did you a huge solid. The running game did you a huge solid. So, again, you were able to just caress everything well enough to win it. That's fine for yesterday. But situationally, this team has to be able to finish because here's what's going to happen. As I've told you before, you want to take the air out of the football. You're going to run it. You're going to churn up time of possession. You can't take seven-minute drives and get field goals. You can't do it. Not against good teams. And the Lions are not a very good team. I think they're better than they were yesterday, but they're not very good. You can get three against them when the defense can do what it did. You can't go and get three against everybody else in this league. You just can't. I like what former Patriot tight end Christian Fourier had to say yesterday on television after the game in Boston. And, like, it's not even a question. There are some people like, the Patriots have a quarterback controversy. No. Mac Jones will start when he's healthy enough to do so. Okay? Again, when Mac is healthy enough to start, he's the guy, and Fourier knows it. He starts right away. He starts right away. Um, I know everybody's excited, but I think if you peel the layers down a little bit more and you get into some of the, the deep into the weeds like you're talking about as far as not being able to score in the red zone, you know, three of nine on third down, 
he just did exactly what he needed to do. Didn't cough it up. He didn't win them the game. Yeah. I don't think he was. It wasn't like, oh, they, they, they put the game on his back and he won it. He did what he was supposed to do. Don't do anything stupid. Don't cough it up. Yes, they did not win the game because of Bailey Zappi. He, he rode the wave yesterday. Enough to win yesterday. Five innings pitched, six earned runs. His offense went off for him. Not going to win you a lot of games. It will win you some. Not going to win you a lot. Will says on the text line, Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury, text line 802-585-3026. I'm glad the Pats won, but I have to keep it in perspective. The Lions are a terrible football team. Look, the Lions scored 48 points the week before, or 45 points the week before. The Patriots did things well. They caused what we saw yesterday. Don't forget that. It's easy to discount all. It's just the Lions. The Lions are averaging 45 points a game. The Lions took the Eagles, who were unbeaten down to the wire. The Lions beat Seattle, who I know is not particularly good. The Lions beat Washington. Or the Lions, uh, I'm sorry, lost to Seattle. Close, though. Lions beat Washington, who's not any good. But the Lions were in every game. They either won or win or were in every game, including against unbeaten Philly. So uh, the Lions are not as bad as what they showed yesterday. You made them that bad. So don't don't discount it. But also understand that Bailey Zappi was not the difference maker in the game. Back to the good. Credit. Huge credit to Ramondre Stevenson. We have always liked Ramondre Stevenson, right? Last year he was Mr. August, Mr. Preseason. We loved him in the regular season when he finally got to play, and we love him now. He runs hard. He finishes runs. He can run between the tackles. He has some breakaway speed. He ran for 161 yards yesterday, including 50-plus right here. From the 20, it's Stevenson. First down and more. Still going. Ramondre Stevenson finally caught from behind. And Stevenson was the workhorse yesterday. Damian Harris got hurt after just four carries. The Pats had no other backs activated. And I didn't love that, but remember Ty Montgomery's hurt. Harris got hurt. No J.J. Taylor. No Pierre Strong. No Kevin Harris. It was all Stevenson once Damian Harris went out, and he answered the bell. Ramondre Stevenson had 111 yards after contact yesterday. That was first in the NFL. He had five runs of 10 yards or more that was first in the nfl and he had seven runs that resulted in a first down that was tied for first in the nfl ramondre stevenson was not just the best offensive player in the patriots yesterday he was among the best offensive players in the game yesterday and his head coach knew it but he, he's always good he does a great job with the ball in his hands um he's a strong runner but he can make people miss and he's a really you know, he's a good football player. He's a really good football player. So glad we have him. Had a couple of blitz pickup uh, plays, you know, right up the middle where he stepped up there. He's a good, good all-around back. Yeah, a couple of really good blitz pickups also for Stevenson. That's huge. And that's high praise from Bill Belichick. We know he doesn't dole it out easily. I mean, and I'm glad he did yesterday. That's a physical position. That's a tough position. I'm glad he gave props where props were due. Speaking of that, Bill also praised kicker Nick Folk, who we don't talk about enough. Nick is so consistent. It's, uh, it, it, you know, it's you, you just kind of start to take it for granted, and then you realize uh, how difficult it was. Today wasn't was not an easy day to kick. Yeah, you, I mean, I can't say enough about, about Nick Folk. He's so professional, so consistent, so dependable. Um, 
and and when you stop and think about how hard that job is over the amount of time we're talking about um it's really really impressive folk made five field goals yesterday and yeah i can lament that the offense didn't score touchdowns but that's not a nick folk problem all he can do is his job and he's done that ever since he got here he's made like more than 60 consecutive kicks under 50 yards yes there's a limit to how far he can hit one. That's true. He's not going to be Justin Tucker from 62. But inside 50, he's automatic. And for an offense that's challenged at really scoring points, it's a huge luxury to know that generally you're guaranteed three when Nick Folk gets a chance to uh, to get on the field. I mean, he's been here since 2019. He's been crushing it ever since, right? Steven Goskowski was hurt that year. Then it was Mike Nugent and Kai Forbath. Folk comes in and he's solidified that job ever since then, ever since then. And I know the general public looks at kickers like non-athletes, but Bill Belichick knows how impressive what kickers do is. And he knows how important kickers are. And he knows how valuable, how, how valuable it is to have a dependable one. He's talked a lot about Matt Stover. He's talked about Justin Tucker. He knows what he's got is special right now in Nick Folk. Finally, real quick. The bat, the bat, the bat. Nelson Aguilar. Not only did he get hurt yesterday, the interception that Bailey Zappi threw, 100% on Aguilar. Perfect pass, kind of like a slant post. Would have been a first down, I believe. And Aguilar drops the pass, and it gets picked. This is three times now he's created a turnover, right? Fumbled week one against Miami. Fumbled week three against Baltimore. And then interception that's caused by his dropsies yesterday. We knew he had the dropsies when he came here. He had a history of it, right? He's a lot better with the Raiders in uh, 2020. But the dropsies and the fumble rooskies are back for Aguilar here in Foxborough. They need those to go away. Because if he's going to keep being on the field, he can't keep being a detriment. That's it. We unpack the Patriots. We do it every single week here on the Brady Farkas show day after Patriots game day. We'll get right back into the Pats again soon. Kenny Albert from Fox Sports is going to stop by at 630. UVM hoops breaking Dylan Penn news. That's next though. 96.1 WDEV FM Warren. 96.5 W243 AT Berry. 98.3 W252 CU Montpelier. AM 550 WDEV Waterbury. This is CBS News on the Hour presented by Liberty Mutual Insurance. I'm Monica Ricks in New York. Hundreds of people are now taking cover in a metro station in Kyiv as Russian missiles continue bombarding cities across Ukraine. The BBC's Paul Adams is there. For three hours this morning, the missiles kept coming outside a university building, a glass tower housing the German consulate, a children's playground. On the street, not far from our base here, we found mangled cars being loaded onto trucks. And on the ground, surrounded by shattered glass and fragments of metal and concrete, lay the lifeless body of a woman. Former U.S. Ambassador to Ukraine, William Taylor. He's losing on the battlefield. All he can do now is terrorize people. He's shooting at civilian targets. He's shooting at infrastructure. He's shooting at playgrounds. At least 14 people have died today. In Iran, CBS's Roxana Saberi says deadly demonstrations are spreading. Activists say security forces appear to be getting more brutal, like killing this driver for simply honking in support of the protesters. 
and even firing pellets at school kids. Most of the injured fear going to the hospital because there some have been detained. Three city leaders in Los Angeles are now under fire for a racist conversation caught on tape. CBS's Steve Futterman has details. This is a portion of the tape that has shaken up L.A. city government. Three council members making disparaging racist remarks about the young black adopted son of a white council member. Let me take them around the corner and I'll bring them back. The comments focused on how the child was behaving during a Martin Luther King Day parade. There are now calls for all three to resign their posts. One of them members, Nuri Martinez, has resigned her position as city council president, but not her council seat. The United Nations has issued a grim new outlook on heat. Here's CBS's Ben Tracy. The United Nations and the Red Cross are warning that heat waves will become so extreme that certain regions of the world will be unsustainable for human life in just a matter of decades. These areas include the Horn of Africa as well as South and Southwest Asia. The organizations say heat waves in these places will bring, quote, large scale suffering and loss of life. Former Fed Reserve Chair Ben Bernanke and two U.S.-based economists have won the Nobel Prize in economics. Bernanke says he was shocked. My wife and I shut off our cell phones when we went to bed last night, not thinking about this issue. And it was our daughter in Chicago who was finally contacted and called us on the landline to inform us that this had happened. So we were not waiting around for the call. Still pretty cool. Their findings laid the foundations for regulating financial markets and dealing with financial crises. This is CBS News. Liberty Mutual customizes your car and home insurance, so you only pay for what you need. Visit LibertyMutual.com to learn more. The IRS doesn't mess around. If they want your money, they'll take it. They can take your paycheck and bank accounts, too, even threaten your home or business. Don't take on the IRS alone. If you owe back taxes, the smartest thing you can do is call Optima Tax Relief. The experts at Optima specialize in a powerful IRS tax assistance program called the Fresh Start Initiative. And their clients that qualify are saving thousands. One call starts the process to stop the demand letters, stop aggressive collection actions, and stop the IRS from targeting you. But don't it's important to act now while you still have options. Optima is A-plus rated with the Better Business Bureau. Optima has already resolved over a billion dollars of tax debt for their clients. Get your life back. For tax help you need, for tax help you can trust, call Optima now for your free consultation. Call 800-343-6460. 800-343-6460. Optima Tax Relief. Some restrictions apply. For complete details, please visit OptimaTaxRelief.com. It's a good day for some self-care because today is World Mental Health Day. If you find yourself struggling, experts say you're not alone. The stats are similar in the U.S. and the U.K., about one in six people every week um, experiencing diagnosable levels of um, mental illness. Britain's Mental Health Foundation says the first step is breaking the taboo around getting help. The main stigma is that um, it's your fault if you're struggling. How can someone recognize that they need help? Sleep is quite often the first one. Any changes in behavior, uh, motivation at work, um, being invested in the relationships that we have. Ian Lee, CBS News, London. The iPhone 14's new crash detection feature has become a bit of a headache for first responders. It's intended to alert them about car crashes, but apparently if you take your phone on a roller coaster, all that shaking is triggering 911 calls. But the fix is pretty simple. Apparently all you have to do is just turn on airplane mode. Monica Ricks, CBS. If you're 
Want Brady to hear your opinion on the sports stories of the day? Text in at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas show right here on this Patriots Victory Monday on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We'll get back to the Pats here in about 15 minutes. Remember, Kenny Albert from uh, Fox Sports, the legend, is going to join us at about 6.30 here as we go up until 7 o'clock, a full show on 90 minutes. You can always get in on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. And you can also always download our podcast. Just go to Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and you can check in there uh, by searching for the Brady Farkas Show. I do want to deviate from Patriots football for a, a few minutes here and get to the breaking weekend news out of UVM, right? UVM men's basketball set to start their season a little less than a month from now against Brown, November 7th at Patrick Gym. And Jeff Goodman, a very reputable college basketball and, and NBA, so just general basketball insider from Stadium, he reported on Friday night that Dylan Penn, the guy we've spoken about, the Bellarmine transfer, probably UVM's best player, broke his hand and is out four to six weeks. So Friday is when this got reported. Friday was October 7th. So that's a pretty much exactly four weeks out from the opener. So we're looking at Dylan Penn missing anywhere between zero and six games, right? That's what I would say. If he's back in four weeks exactly, he plays the opener. If he's out six weeks, he misses six games. So this is a big loss for UVM. This is this is arguably their best player. This is what I believe to be their most important piece this year, missing, you know, again, anywhere between zero and one-fifth of the schedule. So uh, a lot to talk about here with what's next, what we think is going to happen to Dylan overall, but uh, let's just run through a couple of quick facts here. One, we don't know which hand is affected. Jeff Goodman just said he broke a bone in his hand, did not say which hand. Okay. Dylan Penn is a left-handed player. We don't know whether it's his left hand, which would be the shooting hand or the right hand. I also wouldn't worry too much about this injury affecting Dylan Penn when he does get back. Dylan Penn is not really a shooter, right? Like he does need to be able to hit free throws. He's going to get to the line with the way he plays, but he's not a three point shooter, right? This is a guy who's been under 30% from three the last every year of his college career. He's not going to put it up from deep a lot. So this isn't a huge situation where, you know, I, I worry about how it affects his shot. Guys who are knockdown shooters, the Finn Sullivans of the team, I'd worry about that, right? Hands, wrists, elbows, shoulders. Those guys need to feel rhythm. They need to feel touch. It's an art form. Dylan Penn doesn't really need that. He's more of a bull in the china shop kind of player. So, this is not, to me, a situation where when he comes back, I'm going to be really worried about how it's impacted his shot. I just I just don't have those fears. Again, needs to be able to hit free throws, but I'm not worried about him, you know, how this affects his jump shot. He's never going to be that kind of player for this team. Number three, UVM 
physically has the players to slide into this spot. None of them are Dylan Penn. But UVM also isn't going to go completely rudderless without him. They're not just going to fall apart because Dylan Penn is not there. Dylan Penn was not here last year, and a lot of these guys played meaningful minutes and played well. Ben Shungu's not here. Ryan Davis isn't here. You take Penn off the floor. It's going to make an impact. No doubt. You lose your best player, coupled with your two best players from last year, there's going to be a drop-off. But UVM's not going to just completely fall off a cliff because they don't have him. I don't know. If he misses all six games, I don't know how many they win, right? It's an incredibly hard schedule. But they do have some answers. Robin Duncan can be your point guard. Aaron Deloney can be your point guard. Cam Gibson can play. He's a fifth-year player. Finn Sullivan. They have guards. They have depth at that position. They have TJ Hurley. He's a youngster we've heard a lot about. Michelle and Diashimie. They have answers. Okay, They're not going from Dylan Penn to guys who have never played before. They're going from Dylan Penn to, to a lot of guys who have played a lot of basketball. Uh, lengthy text comes in from Tom. I feel, I feel even with Penn sidelined with the injury for approximately four to six weeks, he'll still have the Bahamas showcase at Thanksgiving, the Miami game, and a few more that uh, before the conference gets going to really get dialed in. I also feel, feel they have enough pieces to win, and not just win, but win well. Penn brings that other aspect of the game. He'll be missed, but... Uh, we do need him, but we can make up, you know, make up the spot without him. Again, Tom, I agree with you largely. They can fill his spot. Robin Duncan plays a, a lot of the same way that Dylan Penn does. So they can get guys sliding in. I do not think they are as good with Dylan Penn sidelined. I think that in, if he missed those six games, hypothetically, they're not, they're probably not going even 500 without him. They may not go 500 with him. But without him, I think you're definitely not going 500. I have to look at the full schedule again. We got the West Coast. We got Brown. Brown, the West Coast trip with the three tournament teams from a year ago, Iona, and then Yale. Yeah, I would say you're not going 500 if Dylan Penn doesn't play. So I think Tom's a little more optimistic than me, but I do believe, yeah, if he's good by conference play, that is ultimately what all this comes down to, right? Like he's got to be ready for conference play. But you want to sneak some wins in the non-conference to try to help yourself build a tournament resume. So it does matter if he's not there. The thing that I wonder about, okay, the thing I most worry about is that this team is adjusting to playing with Dylan Penn. Dylan Penn plays a very unique style. He plays a very different style than guys they've had before, right? Like this team played with Ben Shungu. This team's played with Steph Smith. These are different players from Dylan Penn. So it's been a work in progress to play with Dylan Penn and to learn how to play with him and for guys to learn how to play off of him. Now, without him there, you're readjusting to another style, and then when he comes back, you're readjusting again to the way you were before. That is going to be the tough part to me, right? You were you were training to play with Dylan Penn as your focal point. Now he's not there. You're going to go to something different. Then he's going to come back, and you're going to look to go back. 
there's a rhythm when it comes to playing with guys. And when people are shuffling in and out, things change. So I do wonder about that impact. Like if he misses six games and you've played this way, games one through six, does Dylan Penn come back in game seven and it's all just a seamless transition back? I don't know that. So that's what worries me most. I'm going to talk with Coach Brennan tomorrow and ask him some of these questions, and we'll bring some of that to the show as well. Dale in Jericho, who steps up most in his absence? Um, I don't know if it's stepping up. I'm not trying to dodge your, your question, but I don't know if it's stepping up. But outside of Dylan Penn, one of the guys I'm most interested in watching this year is Nick Fiorillo because plays is going to, I think, be really important and really interesting for this program. Nick Fiorillo is a big guy, right? He's like six seven, six eight, but he's not really a post player. He's a guard in a forwards body. John Becker told us a couple weeks ago that they were going to let Dylan Penn play down low. Well, if Dylan Penn is not there to play down low, what exactly happens to the offense? Does Nick Fiorillo try to go down there and do something he's not really comfortable with? Do we see a younger player like a Perry Smith Jr. get extra time and now he's able to be down low? And how does that impact things? Or do they just say, you know what, we're going to play an all-guard lineup, no big man at all, and we're just going to run up and down, shoot threes, and get down in transition, and defense and rebounding be damned? I, I have no idea. So I don't think it's a step up. It's just a mindset thing. How does how does Nick Fiorillo play? Does he play the post, which he's never really done consistently? Do we see somebody else, or do they just abandon it entirely? Because when John Becker was on with us on September 22nd, he talked about Dylan Penn playing down low. Yeah, that, that is something that, that we're definitely going to do. Um, and also just throwing it into the post and, and, and kind of him being um, – passer from that spot too and so um yeah there's there's you know it's always we're just trying to find that balance make sure we have enough shooting on the court so that we can get the spacing that our offense needs i mean that's a big part of what they're going to do dylan penn playing down low and now that's not there i hope he's back on opening night they shouldn't rush him they should get him to a point where he's ready to play I do believe he's going to be able to be in shape, right? You break a bone in your hand. Dylan Penn can still run. Dylan Penn can still condition. Dylan Penn can... And look, again, we don't know what hand is broken here. If it's his right hand, he can still shoot plenty of form shots there and keep the form. He could probably shoot free throws with his left hand. Like, he can do all that if it's the if it's the proper hand. We'll find out from Coach Brennan, who will probably have a little bit more tomorrow as well. All right, it is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com up until 7 o'clock. Um, let's see here. Uh, any breaking Patriots news? Oh, Garrett Gilbert has reverted back to the practice squad, so that might mean that maybe Mac Jones, right? If you've taken Garrett Gilbert off the active roster, put him on the uh, – It'll put him back on the practice squad. Maybe that means Mac has more of a chance to play this week. Not sure. Don't know, but I would say there's absolutely a, uh, I would say that's good news. I would say that's good news on the Mac Jones front. So we'll continue to monitor that. I do want to thank the people on the text line who congratulated me on the Mariners, right? 
Phil in Middlesex wrote to me. Mark in Essex wrote to me. And there were some others on the text line who congratulated me over the weekend. And I also, I want to thank all of you. Everybody who listened to this show on Friday that, that did not give me any updates. It was so special to me to be able to go home and watch the game in its entirety, free of spoilers, and just enjoy the victory. Mariners won on Friday night. They won on Saturday. Unbelievable comeback. One of the most incredible games I've ever seen. Didn't deserve to win it. Down 8-1 in the fifth. Ultimately come back and win at 9-8. The, the greatest road playoff comeback in Major League Baseball history. And the Mariners did it. Now they're moving on. First playoff series win since 2001. I'm jazzed up for it. Thanks to everybody who congratulated me. Thank you to everybody who didn't spoil anything for me. And now here's the kicker. The MLB scheduling gods have screwed me again. Tomorrow and Thursday, 337 first pitches. So I think we all need to do this dance two more times this week. Like, could I get one primetime game? So I didn't have to do this garbage. But tomorrow, 337 first pitch, I think I'm going to have to avoid all you people again. I can still look at the text line, but no, I, once again, we're calling it out. No spoilers, please, because here I am. I'm going to have to tape the game again, mute the CBS News update, tell George Thomas not to talk to me about baseball. Don't know if he would. Going to have to tell him not to. Everybody I talk to, I'm going to have to say, it's great to talk with you. Don't talk to me about baseball. What can I do for you? I, that's what I did all day Friday. Like people who I know don't like baseball, I was giving them that little spiel beforehand. Natalie Williams calls in from VT Digger. I know Natalie not to be a sports fan. I go, Natalie, it's great to talk with you in the afternoon news service. Don't give me a baseball score. What can I do for you? Roger Hill. Roger, no Mariners score. Everybody. I have to avoid social media, avoid people, avoid even my email. I got an email on Friday night from Lid Sports. Celebrate the Mariners' win with a new T-shirt. I'm like, even my email's trying to spoil it for me. So I have to do this all again tomorrow, I think. It's ridiculous. Um, also, shout-out, by the way, of um, shout-out to uh, our friend uh, Cal Raleigh. Cal Raleigh, Mariners catcher, home run in game one on Friday. Made it 3 nothing M's in the first. Son of Todd Raleigh of uh, Swanton, Vermont, Missisquoi Valley High School. So there you go. There's your Vermont tie. That's why you, too, should be rooting for the Mariners. But, yeah, Mariners tomorrow against the Astros. No idea if, if they'll win. They're certainly the underdog. The Astros are the best team in the American League. I'll be watching it, but three hours after all of you. So, yeah, no spoilers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? They have an expensive but totally unimpressive receiving core, and they have at Absolute best, at most charitable, the ninth best quarterback in their own conference. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race, and I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Parker Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Who's Saying What is brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. It all begins at just $20 a month. If you want one free car wash, just text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So I said it last hour, and I certainly believe this. There's no 
quarterback controversy in New England. Mac Jones is the guy. When Mac Jones is healthy enough to contribute and keep himself healthy, Mac Jones should play. And maybe that's this week, right? Garrett Gilbert just sent down to the practice squad. Maybe it's this week. Maybe it's not. But when it's when it's time for Mac, he is the guy. I did find it interesting what Mike Reese of ESPN said yesterday about what the Patriots and Mac can take away, though, from the Bailey Zappi period. And I think that's a great reminder to Mac as he sits back and watches. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't all have to fall on you. Like, sometimes protect the ball, play smart, and that can be enough. So Mike Reese is saying, look, look at what Zappi did yesterday, right? 17-21, to 21, he played close to the vest, he didn't make a lot of mistakes, and the Patriots ended up winning the game. And he's saying, Mac, you can do that too. And here is what... I'm thinking, because I've thought a lot about this over the last few days, about what if the Patriots adopt this run first, play defense style, don't make the big mistake, kind of like they did last year. I've thought a lot about this. And I come to this conclusion. The 2022 Patriots might just be okay if they play that way. Mac Jones might steward a decent enough team if they play this way, right? Again, if it's buttoned up and Mac hands off a bunch and trusts his defense and the court and he just doesn't screw it up. If that's his approach, the 2022 Patriots just might benefit from it. It would be tough, I think, playing that way to beat elite teams like Buffalo, but they could win football games that way. That is 100% true. We saw it yesterday. And Mac Jones could win games this way. He did it last year. He won 10 times. So it all sounds pretty good, right? Hey, Mac, don't do anything stupid. Don't don't take unnecessary risks. Do what you did last year. It all sounds pretty good. But here's why I'm against it. There's really two reasons that I'm against this. Mike Reese is telling Mac, hey, look, just do what Zappy did. And Brady Farkas is saying, I'm not loving this, and here's why. One, there is a ceiling when you do that offensively. We've seen it. It's called last year. Ten wins. Got to the playoffs, wild card team, not a division winner, don't get a home game, get blown out in the playoffs, end of season. That's the ceiling. If you want Mac Jones to play like the Patriots did yesterday, the ceiling is exactly what happened last year. Okay, The ceiling is exactly what happened last year. I want the ceiling to be the Super Bowl. That's that's where I guess I'm differing from people. I understand balance. I want the Pats to run it. I don't want the I don't want Mac to throw it 55 times a game. But at some point, the teams that win the Super Bowl, the quarterback does something that helps them win, and doesn't just try to do things that don't make them lose. The 2022 Patriots could be just fine playing conservatively and playing it close to the vest. But that is not, but they're not going to get any closer to winning the Super Bowl, and I thought that was the goal. Do they win nine games instead of eight playing the Bailey Zappi method? Possibly. But do they become Super Bowl champion caliber? No, they don't. Look at the other teams around football, right? There are a number of teams that are trying to do what the Patriots, you know, what what you're all asking the Patriots to do. Okay, the Cleveland Browns, elite, elite run game. They're two and three. Elite run game. 
two and three. Limited a quarterback with Jacoby Brissett, two and three. Seahawks, Geno Smith, more limited a quarterback, two and three. Tennessee Titans, not leading their division. Best running back in the league. At some point, your quarterback needs to win you a game, and when you play this way, your quarterback often can't. This style does not call for that, and I want to win the Super Bowl. Right? For for the, the Seahawks this year, make the playoffs huge accomplishment. Okay? Now, I'm not looking for them to win the Super Bowl. If the Browns made the playoffs with Jacoby Brissett playing 12 games, that would be a huge accomplishment. Not looking for them to win the Super Bowl. The Patriots, I want to get to a point where they can win Super Bowls once again. And playing this way does not yield that. And the other thing that bothers me about the idea of the Patriots becoming this run-first team is that quarterbacks get paid $50 million a year. And I can't help but not look in the future. And in order to justify $50 million a year to my quarterback, which is what Mac Jones will get when he becomes free agent, or that's what the quarterbacks will be getting when he becomes a free agent, i got to be able to sling it. And I don't expect Mac Jones to be Patrick Mahomes right now, but I want to build something that leads me to believe that he, that he can get that kind of money. And if I'm not, if I'm going to tie one hand behind his back, here's what's going to happen. You're going to pay him the $50 million and you're going to want out of it, and you're going to be stuck. Or you're going to let Matt go because he's not worth it, and we're going to start the whole process over again. That's what worries me. That's what bothers me. If you tie one hand behind Mac Jones' back now, you're really hampering yourself in the future. And again, I know I should care just about 2022 right now, but I can't help think about the future. It's going to cost $50 million to, to sign this guy long term. If you're going to do that, he better be able to justify it. And I got to start to see some of that justification now. And playing the Bailey Zappi method is not the way to do that. Not the way to do that. Uh, text says, is the pressure really on Mac Jones now? No, I think the pressure probably is not quite on him as much because, you know, people know he's injured. And He's not 100%, so you could play it a little closer to the vest for a little while, but I want to see Mac Jones be able to sling it. I actually liked what they were doing weeks one through three. He just needed to make better decisions. I don't want to couch the whole offense entirely, but Mike Reese and others are calling them for calling for them to do just that. Kenny Albert, legendary broadcaster, Fox Sports. He was in Foxborough yesterday. He's with us next here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV. Pack and Send Plus is Waterbury's full-service ship and print center. Your chance to be part of the show is on the text line at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Continuing our conversation about the Patriots, their 29 nothing win over the Lions. We're going to have Kenny Albert from Fox Sports on with us here momentarily. The show is brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training. They are Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. Calputer Class A, Class B, CDL, Passenger and Advanced Skills Training, Real Life application of coursework and that coursework of course so again prodrivercdl.com all right i'm very very excited now to welcome on kenny albert who really is one of my favorite broadcasters and a true titan of the broadcasting industry he was on the call yesterday for patriots and lions in fox row for fox sports but he's called all four major sports here at high levels in the U.S. He's also worked in the Olympics, both summer and winter. Kenny Albert on the phone line with us now. Kenny, thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Excellent. Patriots shut out the Lions yesterday. Not surprised the Patriots won, surprised how they won. Before we talk about how the Pats looked, let's talk about how the Pats looked. What'd you make of Pat Patriot in the red? Oh, we loved it. Uh, I'm always a traditionalist and, uh, Watched so many games as a youngster growing up when the Patriots were wearing uh, those uniforms and that logo. So uh, it was it was great to see them uh, yesterday in the throwback uniforms, the red jerseys, the white pants, the white helmet, the Pat Patriot logo. So uh, that 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 aspect of the game was a lot of fun. What surprised you most about the Pats' performance? Well, I think the fact that they shut out a team that had been averaging 35 points per game. Uh, the Lions, it was well documented coming into the game, Brady, uh, that they had scored 35 a game and they had given up 35 a game. And they were ranked first in offense and, and last defensively. So, you know, I don't think any of us would have had shutout on, on bingo card heading into the game. But you have to give the Patriots a lot of credit. Um, our crew worked the Lions game against Washington back in week two. And that was their only win up until this point. They had a 22 nothing lead at halftime. They they scored 36 points, and the offense um, was outstanding. And now, yes, they, they do have a number of injuries. DeAndre Swift did not play yesterday, but they have a, a, a very good backup running back in Jamal Williams, who led the league in touchdowns heading into the game uh, in Foxborough. They were missing one of their receivers, DJ Chark. They did get... Amon Ross St. Brown back, but uh, you know perhaps he was still hindered by by the ankle injury. Patriots did a great job against T.J. Hawkinson, who had a career game last week and was pretty quiet yesterday. And and Bill Belichick and the Pats always seem to have success against Jared Goff. So I guess the most surprising thing was that the Lions uh, were shut out after averaging the 35 points per game coming in. Patriots defense certainly came to play six fourth down stops yesterday, but how big was it first quarter, the interception in the red zone by Jack Jones? Because Detroit was moving the ball well early. Right, they were. You look at those two drives the Lions had in the first quarter, and they were right around midfield on the first possession, go for it on fourth down, uh, which some people might have been a little surprised about, uh, you know, given – uh, that it was so early in the game, and, and they could have punted and, and pinned the Patriots deep. But on the other hand, the Lions had great success the last couple of weeks on fourth down. They were 3-for-3 three three against Seattle last week and 7 for their last 9 over their previous two games. So I'm sure that uh, was in the mind of head coach Dan Campbell. And then, you're right, big interception by Jack Jones in the red zone. Uh, he had the big pick last week, returned for the touchdown. Um 
in the Patriots lost to Green Bay, and then he comes up with the interception in the end zone or uh, right around the end zone, right around the goal line yesterday. And the fourth down was huge, 0 for 6. Um, you know, that hadn't happened since uh, – the 0 for 5 hadn't happened since 1995, and the 0 for 6 hadn't happened since prior to 1990. So an outstanding job uh, by the Pats defense. Matthew Judon had another terrific game, obviously, with the two sacks, and the second was – scooped up and returned for the touchdown by Kyle Duggar. So you have to give the, the Patriots a lot of credit uh, on, on really all three phases, but certainly uh, on the defensive side. And then offensively, uh, pretty much what you would have expected with, with a young rookie quarterback making his first start. Um, a lot of short passes. Uh, he had a great completion percentage, and they relied on the run game. And when Damian Harris went down, it became uh, the Ramondre Stevenson show, and he had the best game of his career as well. Kenny Albert, Fox Sports broadcaster, was in Foxborough yesterday for Patriots. Their win over the Lions. He's with us here on WDEV AM and FM WDEVradio.com. Kenny, you see on your you know on your your show sheet that the Patriots are one and three, and maybe you have a perception about them. What was your perception going in, and what was it coming out yesterday? Well, they start the season with with two games on the road. They they split those two, and then they lose to a really good Baltimore team and take Green Bay to overtime. So, you know, I don't think the record necessarily uh, totally defined what the Patriots were over those first four games um, when we went in and, and met with Bill Belichick and, and some of the players um, on Friday. Certainly didn't have the feel of a one and three team. So, um, you know, I think. Again, with, with Bailey Zappi, they're starting their third different quarterback in three games, a guy that a lot of people around the country hadn't even heard of until last week. And we were so impressed uh, with, with the poise. Uh, we met with him on Friday, and it was his first ever production meeting. We joked about it with him, with, with a TV crew, but he, but he answered the questions. And um, he looks like he's 12, but <laughs> when he speaks, he's, he's mature beyond his years. So um, he had a terrific college career, obviously, and, when we met with Dan Campbell, uh, he had him at the Senior Bowl uh, along with his Lions staff, Mark Brunel, the quarterback coach. And Campbell spoke very highly of, of his time with Zappi. He said he was really intelligent, picked up the playbook quickly uh, on the field, was accurate with good command. So uh, high marks from the opposing head coach as well leading up to the game. When you met with Bill Belichick in those pre-production meetings, did you get any sense of kind of where Mac Jones is at? Not really. I think when you go into the meetings with, with Belichick, you know, having done a number of Patriots games through the years, you kind of know what questions to ask and what not to ask mm. because you're not going to get an answer to certain things, uh, which is certainly his prerogative. We, we had a great meeting uh, with, with Bill on Friday, and what, what I've learned is that um, he's not going to give up too much about his current team, but if you start asking about some of the historical stuff that, that he's lived through, it, it's fascinating. And we, we we used some of this on the broadcast yesterday. I asked Bill about uh, his first NFL coaching job, which was in Detroit with mm-hmm. the Lions. He had been with the Baltimore Colts the year before as an intern, but his first actual coaching job was in Detroit in 1976. And he spoke for about 20 minutes about um, earning his Ph.D. in football during those two years in Detroit. He was working on the offensive side which a lot of people don't remember. Uh, he has not always been a defensive coach. He was the assistant special teams coach, and he worked with the wide receivers and tight ends. And he, he reminded us that those Lions teams that he was a part of 
were really the first to use a two tight end formation. <laughs> and they had the Hall of Famer, Charlie Sanders, and another tight end named David Hill. And then you think ahead, you know, a couple of decades after that to his time with the Patriots and how much success they have had uh, during certain eras uh, using the two tight end formations. So um, when he gets going on the historical stuff, it's, it's, like I said, fascinating. And his father played for the Lions back in the early 40s. And his dad's college coach, uh, who Bill's actually named after, a gentleman named Bill Edwards, played high school football with Paul Brown. So when you think about the Belichick uh, football history in their family, it goes all the way back uh, to Paul Brown's high school days. Wow. So um, it, it's just, uh, you know, for those of us who, who really enjoy uh, the history of, of the sport, um, when, when you sit down with him and he starts getting going, like I said, on, on some of that stuff, it's uh, it, it's really intriguing. And, and um, he has such a great, obviously, football mind and remembers every detail from, you know, even back in 1976 during his time with the Lions. Was there anything you saw the Patriots offensively do this week that they can – replicate or bring back when Mac Jones is healthy? Do you think there's any carryover for what they can, uh, what they can do scheme wise? Well, with, with Bill Belichick and his staff, you know, they'll, they'll certainly file everything away. And, you know, sometimes they'll go back to a, a playbook from 2008 and sometimes they'll go back to just a couple of weeks ago. So, um, you know, like I said, it, it was pretty much the, the short to intermediate passing game and it, it paid off. I think Zappi finished 17-21, to 21, and the one interception, of course, uh, deflected off the hands of, of Aguilar. That wasn't necessarily his fault. You know, the one thing, you do have to give the Lions defense a little bit of credit. I mean, they lost so many players throughout the game. They had five DBs go down at, at different times. You know, they, they did hold the Patriots for five field goals and yep. only one offensive touchdown. So, um, you know, if there's one positive you can look at from the Lions side, it, it's certainly that. Kenny Albert, Fox Sports broadcaster with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. So I'm going to deviate off football for my final question here. We always like to try to localize things a little more if we can. So we're here in, in central Vermont, and one of our favorite people, local athletes, is a female hockey player by the name of Amanda Pelkey. And she was on the 20... 20- 18, I guess it would be, the Winter Olympic gold medal team in Pyeongchang and uh, women's hockey team that beat Canada. And I believe you were on the call of that gold medal game against Canada, the uh, Jocelyn Lamoureux unbelievable shootout goal, if I'm remembering correctly. Am I right on that? And what do you remember about that game? Oh, I was. Uh, and that was a game that I put up there probably in the top five of the most memorable events that I've ever had the good fortune to work. Uh, I was in Pyeongchang working with A.J. Malesko in the booth, yes. who was a 1998 gold medal winner uh, with the U.S. Olympic women's hockey team and then won silver in 2002, although she doesn't like to talk about the silver <laughs> as much as the gold. And uh, Pierre Maguire was with us down at ice level. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. Uh, the, the Canadians had won the previous four gold medals in women's ice hockey, and it's a huge rivalry, as you know. And uh, it went to overtime and then went to a shootout and, um, you know, just – the, the, the energy in the building, the excitement, um, it, it was a game and a broadcast that I'll certainly never forget and definitely in my top five all time. Well, we will we will never forget it uh, either and speak about it and speak with Amanda often. So, Kenny Albert, Fox Sports. Kenny, we appreciate it. Great work on the game yesterday. Great result for the Patriots. And uh, look forward to uh, you having the Pats again, hopefully later on, the, uh, on in the year. Thanks, Brady. Really appreciate it. Well, we appreciate it.
as well. Kenny Albert, one of just the absolute best. I said at the beginning, just a, a titan of our industry. I mean, Stanley Cup Finals, the, the Winter Olympics, as we just mentioned, the son of Marv Albert, baseball. like They don't come much better than Kenny Albert. And by the way, we mentioned the Olympic gold medal game, U.S.-Canada, that Kenny did back in 2018. Well, we mentioned Amanda Pelkey. Well, it was just this past weekend that Pelkey's UVM hockey points record got broken by current catamount Teresa Schafsall. So a cool tie-in there. Cool that Kenny called Pelkey's game for the gold medal. And then this weekend, Pelkey gets her record surpassed by Schafsall as UVM split with Holy Cross. But a couple things to take away. We're going to do more on the Patriots tomorrow, right? We can talk more about Kenny's interview. We got Bob Sosi, the voice of the Pats. He obviously also was in Foxborough, so he's going to be with us tomorrow at 545. But couple kind of brief, quick takeaways from the interview there with Kenny. No real update on Mac Jones. I thought there was a chance that Bill Belichick might be more transparent with the media in that setting. But Kenny Albert said, look, I don't even bother to ask those kind of questions. So nothing new on Mac Jones. I would not be shocked if Mac played this week. Obviously, we're super early in the week. I know nothing. I have no inside info. Kenny was going to be my inside info. So I know nothing there. But just the way Mac was moving last week looked a little bit closer. And if the Pats are going to play this kind of very conservative style and not ask Mac to do a lot, there's a chance against Cleveland. Don't know. Maybe you don't want to put him up there against Miles Garrett in that front four. Maybe you want to hold off another week. But it's possible I would not be completely shocked, but no in no input, no update on Mac yet. Talk about sitting with Belichick, by the way. Number two, the historical stuff that Kenny Albert mentioned was insane. Like Belichick going all the way back, like football family tree-wise, to Paul Brown. I mean, we know that Belichick loves history, and we we see and hear this kind of thing from him time to time, but I would love to hear it firsthand. Just one time I'd love to hear Bill Belichick. Like when Bill did the top – 100 players in NFL history. Remember back when they did at the top 100, like the 100-year anniversary of the NFL, they counted down the top 100 players, and Belichick was part of the NFL Network crew. Like That was peak Belichick. I loved hearing him talk about league history. Kenny does agree with me, by the way, about the Patriots' defense. Those defensive stands, I said this an hour ago in unpacking the Patriots, those defensive stands back in the first quarter, they were massive. It's an entirely different game. If the Lions walk away with 6, 10, 14, whatever in the first quarter, right? You get the Jack Jones pick. You get the the stop at midfield-ish on the first drive. If the Lions come away with points on both of those drives, it's a vastly different game. And now Bailey Zappi does have to do more. He was able to coast because the defense put him in these advantageous situations. Without them, yesterday's result, of 29 nothing certainly doesn't happen. But without those first stops, you may not even get a Patriots win. And Kenny underscored that as well. And he loved Pat the Patriots. That's an extra bonus point for Kenny Albert. Love Pat the Patriot. Uh, they will wear them again later in the season against Buffalo at home. I'm a big uniform guy. Love throwback uniforms. Love, uh, love retro. Love nostalgia. I know the Patriots weren't very good in Pat the Patriot, but I would love to see him. I, I, I just love it. I love the throwbacks. I've, I've always loved throwback uniform games, and a lot of people, it sounds like on social media, love Pat the Patriot as well. It is the Brady Farkas Show here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We'll wrap it up. One thing 
that we had to worry about when it came to the Patriots that right now has proven to be anything but. I'll tell you what that is. That's next here on DEV. Make your opinion heard by texting onto the Brady Farkas Show at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Final segment here on this Patriots Victory Monday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. We're up until 7 o'clock, then it's Jazz with George Thomas here from 7 until 9, then I on the World with John Batchelor. Patriots beat the Lions. We've been talking about it all day. Thanks again to Kenny Albert for stopping by just uh, in the last segment. Full interview with Kenny Albert available already on our podcast channel on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. You know, it's time for all of us, myself included, to give the Patriots' defensive backfield some credit. The Patriots' defensive backfield deserves some credit because it was one of many things that we spent time worrying about this offseason, right? We worried about Matt Patricia. We worried about Joe Judge. We worried about the offensive line, and we worried about the cornerbacks. And so far, almost none of those things have been problems. Matt Patricia has not killed this team in the play-calling department. The offensive line was bad week one against Miami. But outside of that, the offensive line has played considerably better, and it certainly has played better than we thought. Isaiah Wynn, eh, notwithstanding. But by and large, the line has not been a massive problem. The thing that we hadn't, that we weren't worried about was Mac, and Mac's decision-making was a huge problem when he played through the first three weeks of the season. So it's funny how an NFL season works. The things we thought were going to be issues – don't end up being issues, and the things that we thought were going to be strengths don't always end up being strengths. But the corners certainly have been way better than I imagined. Right? Like we came in here to training camp looking at Terrence Mitchell and Malcolm Butler, and neither one of them are even here. And we've seen really, really high level play out of the guys that are. I mean, I know we didn't play last week, but. Have we talked once about Jalen Mills just getting straight burned this year? I haven't. We were like, hey, can Jalen Mills go from the slot to the outside? Can Jalen Mills be your number one cornerback? I, I don't remember seeing Jalen Mills get beat at all. How about Jonathan Jones? Can he move from slot to outside? Seems like he's been pretty good also. He's what he's a top five corner when it comes to pro football focus grades. And then how about Jack Jones? Jack Jones, I think, is the number one ranked pro football focus corner in terms of their grading system. Like, Jack Jones has interceptions in each of the last two weeks. He's forced to fumble. So three turnovers forced in two games. Like, that's unreal production, obviously. But instinct-wise, he just has the ball-hawking nature that teams covet. I mean, Jack Jones has been great. In weeks four and five, he has been great. And now he's starting to play with some confidence. He's playing with a bit of a swagger. I still wouldn't have talked smack about Aaron Rodgers, but still. Then you throw that in with Devin McCourty, and then you throw that in with Kyle Duggar, who we've loved. Duggar made the mistake. He made the mistake play in the you know the the week one play where Jalen Waddle catches a touchdown right before the half. And then when Duggar's been out there, he's been productive. Adrian Phillips has always been productive. I mean. Look, this defensive backfield might not have a Stephon Gilmore in his prime or a J.C. Jackson in his prime, but they do appear to have answers at corner that we didn't think they had. Marcus Jones has played a bit too. He's starting to get in the mix. 
the defensive sec the, the defensive backfield, the secondary, is far better than I was expecting it to be, and especially earlier than I was expecting it to be. I mean, we thought it was going to be an old secondary, an old slow secondary. Terrence Mitchell, Malcolm Butler, how are they going to keep up? Well, they've put in some athleticism there. They've put in some youth there. And you couple that with the veteran safety play, and the defensive backfield's been pretty good, right? Pittsburgh didn't do anything. How many times do we say Deontay Johnson or Chase Claypool's name against Pittsburgh? I can't remember one. Okay, the 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 Baltimore game, everybody struggled that game. Mark Andrews, though, did a lot of the damage. That's a tight end. It's not like, you know, Bateman didn't play in that game, so we didn't see him down the field. There was the Duvernay unbelievable touchdown catch in the corner, but really these corners have been have been far better than we assumed or thought they would be for the Patriots. And we'll see what happens next week. Pats are 2-3. and three. They'll take on a 2-3 and three Cleveland team that certainly is a formidable offense. Amari Cooper is on that team, so they've got some players as well at the wide receiver position. We'll see if the corners can continue to match it. I worry more about Nick Chubb on the ground than I do about the Patriots, you know, having to deal with the passing game with Jacoby Brissett. But, you know, we'll see. We got all week to go through that matchup, and I'm excited to talk with Bob Sosi. Remember Bob Sosi, our Patriots insider, our, well, voice of the Patriots here on DEV. He'll be with us tomorrow at 545. See what he thinks about the Pats secondary. And, uh, you know, if, if he agrees that we went in undervaluing what they had and have come out to be a nice surprise. So Bob Sosi will be with us tomorrow. I'll probably get into some more UVM hoop stuff tomorrow as well. A couple of interesting things out on the Red Sox as we get ready for the offseason. And yes, I have to avoid all human contact again because of the Mariners and Astros playing a day game. So I, I just one primetime game. Just one primetime game. That's all I wanted so I didn't have to do this. Jump through the hoops and make you jump through the hoops with me as well. All right, that's going to do it for us. Go download the podcast. It's available on our Apple Podcasts and Spotify app. Just search for the Brady Farkas Show. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. Then I in the World with John Batchelor. It is a Patriots win Monday. Celebrate accordingly. Back at it again tomorrow here on the Brady Farkas Show on DEV.